Welcome to the Hoops College Coaches Podcast. I'm Aaron Paranak along with Brian Bagwell. This week we're discussing ways to improve your practices. Inevitably, there's a part of practice that you always dread, but you know it's important. You might not ever look forward to it, but we hope we can at least remove some of that dread from your mind by giving you some ways to adjust. First, let's talk about reasons that coaches have a least favorite part of practice. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. First, players think it's pointless. Where do they get that from? Do you think it's pointless and so then they do? Are they just not clear on what your expectations are and why this thing is important? Um, If you think it's pointless, they're probably going to think it's pointless as well. But if you think it's important, then it turns into a communication breakdown. And I think it's your job to help them understand why this thing that we're working on right now is important. You could point to statistics. You can point to film. You can point to this is why the team and our conference won the conference championship last year. You could, there are a lot of different reasons and ways to make something important. Players think something is pointless because they don't know how it relates to them. They see it maybe for the freshman, or maybe they see it for the team that's on offense. So they don't know what they're getting out of that particular part of practice. So players could think is pointless because you have not given them individual goals. You've only given the team goals. Sometimes coaches dread certain drills because they seem to always put them at the end of practice. What's the solution for that? Um, make practice shorter and do that drill tomorrow. So if players aren't approaching practice with the attitude that I'm going to get better, if practice is so hard that they're just trying to survive it and they say success is making it through practice, then of course anything that's at the end is going to be lost on them. Secondly, I I do think that at the beginning of practice that we set standards, right? We say you have to make 10 layups. We say that you have to finish this drill in 30 seconds or progress past that beginning of a traditional practice. And we have a two-on-two possession where we're really coaching defense or a three-on-three possession where we're really coaching the execution of screens. Whereas traditionally at the end of practice, it's very easy because of the five-on-five scenarios to allow players to play and not continue to hold them to the same standards that you did in the beginning of practice. What if the beginning of practice is always bad? How can we make that better? I think a lot of us spend the first segment of practice stretching. And if players are disengaged for the first 15 minutes that you meet every single time you are together, then that's a habit that's tough to break. A few suggestions that I have on stretching. First, you can teach it and then let them do it on their own. So you teach it and you say, tomorrow we're starting practice at 3.30. So whatever you need to do, I'm not requiring you to get to practice 15 minutes early, but I've taught you how to stretch and now you choose how to prepare yourself for practice and you get prepared, whether that's getting up form shots, whether that's stretching, whatever you need to do, you get prepared. That way, if players do see it as important, they will do it. And if they don't see it as important, then they won't waste your time by halfway doing something. Secondly, I think another way to incorporate stretching in a way that's better is to potentially do it at stations. So it seems like practice is already starting. So if you're doing partner passing somewhere and if you're doing form shooting somewhere in another place, you could do dynamic stretching or just simply mix in warm up activities um, that are part of basketball to begin with. Thirdly, I think you can change the format of stretching throughout the course of the year. So the beginning of practice is not always the same. 
you can have two lines or you can have seven lines. You can put them on the end line. You can put them on the sideline. And, uh, you know, what do you do when you finish the stretch? Do you just stop and turn around or do you jog back or do you backpedal back or, or how, how is stretching formatted? Therefore, the beginning of practice doesn't seem like this long, unintense, unfocused and unimportant thing every single time. What if the intensity always seems to go down in a particular drill? One thing that I've found uh, that is extremely helpful is to help your players always go full speed. So nothing is walkthrough. Nothing is going at 50%. Nothing is, hey, let this pass go through so that we can complete the action that we're trying to get to as a defense so your defense is not being aggressive. Um, so one thing that I've found to keep the intensity from going down is to just remove the ball. And if teams are used to playing without the ball in a two-on-two, or five-on-five five setting even, if they're used to playing without the ball, now you can work on your scout. Now you can work on guarding screens where players aren't not deflecting passes or players are not, not pressuring the ball. Um, they can play as hard as they want to, and they still won't disrupt your flow and what you're trying to get out of practice. What if what you're doing in practice is just too hard for them? They just can't ever seem to accomplish what you're trying to work on. You have to help players raise their expectation levels of themselves. And one way to do that, if something is too hard for them, you have to prove to them that they can do part of it. And then you can allow them to put pieces together. One thing that we used to do, an idea that we stole from Vivian Stringer, is to run a double suicide in 55 seconds. And like she did, we told our team, hey, you can't participate in the first game unless you've completed five consecutive 55s. And what happened was the first time that we did this exercise, one person made the first one and nobody made the second one. Second time we did it, it's still at the end of a workout. Two or three people made the first one. One person made the second one. Nobody made the third one. By the third week, we're, we're roughly in the same, the same boat, right? A few people make the first one, but as we get to the second and third one, they think that they can't do it. We've been putting these 55s at the end of workout. So in week four, we decided to change it up. We decided to prove to them that they can do it. So we put four 55s at the beginning of the workout. And we tell them, if you make the four 55s, no more conditioning for today. Conditioning's over. You can play. Everybody makes the four 55s. So now that we've proven to them at the beginning of the workout, you can make four 55s. Now we go back and we put the five 55s at the end. And guess what? When we had one or two people making one or two sprints and nobody else making it. Now that we've proved to them that you could make four at the beginning and given them incentive to do so, now that we put it back at the end with five and over half the team makes it and then we progress for, for everybody to make it. So we had to take steps to prove to them that this isn't too hard. So the question is not necessarily is it too hard for players, but are players' expectation levels of themselves too low? And how can you help them raise their own expectation level? What if you're doing something and players just don't understand? And so they're thinking too much or they think they're thinking too much and they, they can't do it right because they don't understand it. First of all, I would say coaches largely underestimate how much their players can understand and they sell them short. Players can understand way more than you think they can. Uh, you just have to believe that and you have to teach them. If players don't understand something, maybe take the ball away. If players don't understand what you are trying to execute with them, maybe that's because their mind is clouded with, uh-oh, I don't want to get dunked on. 
or maybe their mind is clouded with, I'm going to get beat. So my, their goal, if their goal is not the same as yours, you take the ball away. And now all of a sudden players can understand because they can see your philosophy without fear of getting beat. Secondly, I would say if a coach is dreading a part of practice because players just don't quite get what, what, what you're trying to do, are you trying to teach too many fundamentals and aren't teaching the players the goals that you've set forth in the drill? Are you telling them how to do something, but you're not getting their mindset around what they are trying to accomplish in the first place? Thirdly, I would say that if players don't understand it, maybe your drill is too advanced for them. And maybe you need to include another more controlled part of practice that helps you progress your players so you're not fussing at them for not executing a skill that they haven't built in the first place. My experience is that this happens when we're trying to teach something new. It's amazing what happens when you just stop and come back tomorrow. If you've been trying to teach something for days and weeks and months and they're still not getting it, then you might need to change how you're teaching it. And maybe you bring in one of your players and you say, hey, why, what's, what's holding us up? Why are we not getting this skill or this concept or this thing? And if you ask them, they'll probably tell you and then you can adjust. One of the best things that you can do before introducing a concept where players may or may not understand is to grab a handful of players before practice who may need some extra help and teach it to them before you teach everybody else. What if you're in a part of practice and you're just not comfortable teaching that skill or that concept? If it's not important to your identity as a team, then don't teach it. Um, You have to pick the things that are the most important and you have to make sure your players know that those things are most important and you have to set goals for them in those specific phases of the game. So if you're not comfortable teaching something, you have to teach something else. If you're not comfortable teaching in certain instances, though, that may not be a bad thing because you may be trying to overteach it in the first place. Look at your team, figure out, is this thing important for my team to be successful? If it is, and you're not sure how to go about it, ask for help. If it's not, just let it go and be really good at the things that you know. So maybe I'm comfortable teaching something. I just don't know how to work on it and keep the whole team engaged in what we're doing. How can I, how can I make sure that everyone is engaged when I'm working on a concept? The best way to keep players engaged is for you to teach talk. You don't need to teach them how to coach and you don't need to teach them how to teach, but you need to give them precise terminology so that they can open their mouth and so that they can be engaged in what's going on. If you give them specific terminology, they'll see if their teammate is executing or not. If you give them specific terminology, they will coach their teammate before something happens. Lastly, I think the way to keep everybody engaged is to to score a drill. If you're not scoring the drill, you might care if one teammate gets a stop, but maybe the next teammate that steps up is, is not your friend, right? So that player is less engaged and really doesn't care if they get a score or stop. Uh, If you have red against white and you keep score up on the board, now players are going to be engaged because they want their team to win. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hoops College Coaches Podcast and that you don't dread that one part of practice quite as much as before. We'll be back on Tuesday. 